Hi, today we will be talking about the physics of martial arts. Allow me to begin with a basic lesson in the differences between the different styles of martial arts. Through the years, the martial arts have been refined and changed from the way they were originally taught. Many of these refinements are due to the basic kinematic and energetic physical principles. The movements have been broken down to increase their efficiency in much the same manner as we will break down the inner workings of a semiconductor or car engine or circuit in order to improve their efficiency. Now the martial arts can be separated into two extremely generalized styles, hard style and soft style. Hard style martial arts incorporates the use of punches, kicks, elbows, knees and other hard strikes and blocks for the effect of crushing and destroying their body of their opponents. Soft style, on the other hand, uses joint locks, throws, takedowns to cause extreme pain to the end for their opponent. So let's start uh, with the basics, as I've written right here, as I'm trying to also get a line. Okay, let's start with the basics. So we can begin to analyze the martial arts with some of the basic physics knowledge that we attained during high school. Then, after that, we can begin to incorporate more and see how the problem can become a bit more complex. So starting with our basic equation for energy, we can write out an equation that will give us a fair understanding of what goes into, a, into the simplest punch or block. So first, let's analyze a basic straight punch. A, a martial artist punches in a way to maximize pressure by using only a surface of the weapon 1 inch by 1 inch max. Many martial artists use a rotating fist in order to help align the two punching knuckles appropriately. But we will take our first uh, punch to be more of a kung fu style punch where the fist is held at all times with the knuckles vertical to the surface of the earth if the attacker is standing. As you can see in this picture um, right here and I will explain later why there are lines on it. So using the concept uh, of physics, we can use the concept of kinetic energy, which is based on mass and velocity, and also we can use potential energy, which is based on mass, gravity, and a change in the position in the vertical, which would become y. Um, we can write the following equation using uh, these inf this information, which would be E equals 1 over 2 mv squared plus mgy, and I just said why this y is here, and there's a y over here as well. Um, um, this y is there because there's a change in the position in the vertical. Anyways, let me explain what this equation is. This equation is where m is the mass of the fist and the arm, which would be approximately around 7 to 10 kilograms, and v is the velocity in the horizontal direction only. Now, taking the velocity to be the velocity of the arm at, and the fist at full extension, we can, total, we can certainly say that the total mechanical energy of the punch is just prior to contact with the target. Now, once we have this total mechanical energy, we can use it to find the amount of pressure being put into the target due to the amount of area of the punch and the force due to the energy of the punch. But first, of course, we need to find the force of this punch, which we can use Newton's second law, which is F equals MA. Now, um, now, obviously, when we get this uh, F equals MA, when we get the force, it is going to be a large number because it's going to be the whole arm from the shoulder uh, going to the fist. Um, so this would be an obviously very large number. Well, we must understand that the entire arm did not travel the full distance. Uh, we can make a correction where we sum the distance traveled by each part of the arm over slightly less distance as we get closer to the shoulder. And now, as I said, I'm going to explain why there are the 
the pieces of the you know the lines in the arm it's because we chop this arm into 10 pieces and each piece being the one-tenth the mass of the whole arm and then take each piece that has traveled one-tenth less than the piece just further from the shoulder and then we can easily just tell what the force is and we won't get such a big number that we can we're gonna have a problem with or it's gonna give us the wrong answer now after when we do all that now we can find the pressure created on the target by the punching hand by using this formula right here or equation right here which is pressure equals F over A uh, F being force of course which we can attain through oops my bad through here like that that's a great arrow I love that what the hell uh, there we go so um, anyways F would be the force um, and then uh, let me explain how we get A even from this simple model we can use physics to determine the destructive power of martial arts but sometimes someone might think that it's difficult to find the area of a fist heel or foot because on each unique person these these areas will be completely different and quite significantly in many cases it is in martial arts however the use of the one inch rule is is a well-known widely used rule for the weapons of the hand feet legs and arms and etc now the one inch rule states that any weapon used to attack or block should be no wider than one inch at its widest point we use the index and the middle finger middle finger knuckle on the fist only and these are approximately one inch apart on any adult there are seven primary weapons on the hand, each of which is approximately one inch in width at its widest part. Using this information, we can easily suggest that the punch weapon is one inch square, and changing that into centimeters gives us 6.45 centimeters square. So, when we submit all that into the into this equation, we already have our uh, sorry about that. We already have our uh, force from the last section that we just talked about. So when we have the force, we got the force, and then we're going to get the A, which would be 6.45, and then we're going to convert that into meters, and then it'll be meters squared. Um, after that, uh, when we divide these two, we get an answer, which would be for P, this is uh, the time for P, which would equal whatever the number would be. And then, uh, after that, we get the pressure. Now we can we will add a few factors to the equation and look at how the problem can first become more involved and second give us a much better idea of the true power behind martial arts. Now in the next part I will be talking about the effects of rotational mechanics that would be if uh, someone was about to use the soft uh, martial arts soft technique of martial arts and uh, throw someone or or put them in a joint lock but mostly it's about takedowns so this will be more about the CQC, CQC close quarter combat takedown where the pace person will grab someone and throw them over their body and that would be called the effects of a rotational mechanics hi welcome back this is the physics of martial arts this is part two in this part I will be talking about the effects of rotational mechanics in this section I will cover a range of issues dealing with the use of rotational mechanics mostly with the idea of rigid body motion the body when performing the martial arts is used in various ways to improve balance speed and overall power as a system to perfect this use of the entire body can take years of practical application but only moments to understand so first let us discuss the different ways that the body moves when performing certain attacks or, or blocks in the martial arts 
For our purposes now, we will only take into account the hard style art movements. Many of the hard style and soft style movements are similar and rightly so being based on a single base, a single base system which has been dis diversified and refined throughout thousands of years. We will focus on the hard style system first. Um, so with the punches that we discussed previously, there comes much more motion from the body. First, there is rotational motion at the hips that thus causing the upper half of the body to turn, the shoulders to extend, and the arm to gain distance so that it can accelerate through the target. This motion will be will add a large amount of energy and momentum to the movement of the previously simple punch. We will estimate the shape of the human torso to be equivalent to these figures over here. Now, this is figure one, and this one would be figure number two. And I will tell you what each figure is. The first figure is a two-dimensional approximation of the shape of the human torso from the front perspective. And the second part of the figure is how we will approximate the shape as a three-dimensional version of the first part of the figure. For that shape, we will approximate the moment, the moment of inertia, I, to be that of a thin white rectangle, where I equals 1 over 12 m brackets w squared plus d squared where m is the mass of the torso w is the distance from the center of the torso to this edge of the shoulder and d is the distance from the center of the torso to the outer edge of the back so let's use these uh, let's use the following actual values for each of these variables which would be m equals 35 kilograms w is 22 centimeters which converted is 0.22 meters D is 7 centimeters, converted is 0 0.07 meters. Um, I'm sorry, I don't know if I said uh, 7 centimeters or meters by mistake, but what I meant is 7 centimeters converted is 0 0.07 meters. So having these three numbers, you can just convert them all into this equation and you will get I. And having I, you have enough information to be able to uh, um, get new values of energy, force, and pressure for the linear punch adding the effects of the rotational mechanics of the body to these equations as well but uh, I will not I, I won't be going into the pressure and the and the force one because I've already done the force in the last video and the pressure one uh, it's just that rotational mechanic will just be added to it but we haven't done energy that's why I'm just gonna do energy with the variables that we have with the values that we have for these variables so energy is uh, this is the formula for energy. All we have to do is to sub them in. This is what we're going to get. And when you just use your calculator, you're going to get this for an answer. E equals 207.03 joules. Uh, joules is for energy. That's why we use it. Um, and uh, now knowing all this, I didn't do the punch and the, and the pressure and the force. Be like I didn't do the pressure of the punch and the force of the punch but we can know we can tell that uh, the mechanical energy is twice as much uh, than if there was no rotational move because this proves that adding rotational mechanics into the linear movement can increase the energy output drastically allowing for a much more destructive and powerful strike Alright, now before we get into uh, rotational mechanics where well, people grab each other and take down and do judo uh, as you see over here, there is actually one right here. This person is getting thrown over um, by this person over here. But uh, let me get rid of that. Okay, I'm gonna show you. A, I'm gonna show you a video, and this video would be right here. 
Okay, this is a Uchimata, and this uh, throw works like a crowbar where your leg is a lever and your hip is the fulcrum. The trick is positioning your body in the right place. If you don't, and if you're just an inch off the placement of your thigh and hip, the energy doubles for throwing your opponent. And if you perform it correctly, Uchimata is the type of move that take, take down that requires almost no energy, yet it can deliver up to 5,000 pounds of force. And that is it. Okay, um, moving on. We will be going into this. Okay, so now let's take a look at this uh, figure over here. As we see, there is a figure right over here with these uh, people fighting each other. Um, and let's look at this as a two-body problem. First, we will conserve uh, will conserve uh, momentum of the attacker, which is M1, and uh, uh, the defender, which is M2. Uh, M1 is the attacker. M2 is the defender and the equation will be this p1 equals m1 v1 and p2 equals m2 v2 um, now if we say that the m1 strike m2 head-on over a certain or a certain time we would find that the force of the interaction is in this we will find the force through this equation that's what I'm trying to say uh, and by subbing in the numbers that we, if we have any values, if we add them to these variables, we're going to get a force that is probably going to be, um, you know, a devastating amount of force. And the pressure, of course, again, we will be using this pressure force, that's F over A, because we will get the force right here, and the A is going to be the, uh, I guess, the distance of the person that's going to attack him with his fist or uh, attack him head on. Um, but uh, let's just say uh, this devastating force and the pressure that would be exerted on M2 if M1 were to strike head-on with a fist, because let's not forget M1 is the attacker. But let's say so by avoiding the head-on attack with a small step back, so if M2 uh, dodged the attack and used his rotating, like rotated his body and grabbed him, as we see right here, this person attacks him and he dodges and grabs him from behind, rotating the body at an angle to the attack and then blending with the attacker to create an inelastic collision. We not only conserve the momentum of and, and energy, but add to it and by adding our own mass and velocity to the motion of the attacker and use it against him, we will like be able to use more force to throw him as shown in the second part of the figure over here. This person gets him and throws him on the ground um, but for that we can use this equation right here um, L equals R multiply P equals PR uh, sine theta that's that's supposed to be theta uh, I don't know why I turned into Q uh, that is supposed to be theta uh, but for aphoresis we will let uh, theta be 90 so that L equals PR which equals to MVR where M will be the combined mass of the attacker, V is the velocity of the two person as a system, because they're together now, and R will be the average distance of the attacker's body as it separates from the defender's body during rotation. And for, for, for this portion, the attacker's head and upper body will be pulled tightly into the defender's chest. This allows the attacker's lower body to drift outward from the defender as they rotate. Um, you can see in the picture, uh, you can see in the picture above that the attacker comes in, defender steps at an angle and pulls the attacker in a rotation which causes the attacker to fall. 
as in a takedown where the person will take him down and throw him on the ground over here um, and you must understand that in soft style the initial velocity of the attacker dictates that the velocity of the rotation so this is not so much for reasons of physics but for a reason of maintaining the flow of the movement this is to minimize the energy output required on the part of the defender just saying uh, like I'm just saying that part just for a heads up Okay, we're going to continue now with our uh, exploration of some of the physics that's involved in martial arts. In our last couple of videos, we were looking at impact force, some of the things you could do to maximize impact force. Uh, in particular, in the last part of this series, we looked at the role that the duration of impact plays in determining impact force. And we discovered that you can certainly manipulate impact time, but you can't do so in a way that will enhance or increase the impact force that you're delivering. Uh, so now I want to look at a principle, a very basic, straightforward principle that will show us a variable that we can manipulate that will help us to accentuate the effect that our strikes and, and kicks, our various weapons, have on our opponent. And this is one I'm, I'm certain you're familiar with. You've undoubtedly at some point accidentally poked yourself with a pencil or with a pin. Now if you poked yourself with a pencil, you know that poking yourself with the point of the pencil is going to hurt much more than poking yourself with the eraser. And that's where today's concept lies. And that's something that we call pressure. See, now we're not just looking at force. We're going to be looking at the, the area over which that force is delivered and how the area affects uh, the nature of the impact. And in fact, pressure is force per unit area. And what you should see here is if the force is constant, if that's something that we've already established based on the conditions prior to the collision, prior to our impact with our opponent, well, we have control over the area over which we're delivering that force by our choice of weapons. So you can see it's important to choose the appropriate weapon, uh, not just so that it, it fits the target at hand. You wouldn't try to punch somebody in the eye but also so that it, it's appropriately chosen so that you can deliver uh, uh, an impact over as small an area as possible and causes as much damage as possible by increasing the pressure. So that's our concept. Like I said, pretty basic, pretty straightforward. I have Moses here to help out just to illustrate a couple of instances in which this applies, instances in which I'm sure you're, you're more than familiar, but it's worth highlighting, worth going over uh, one more time. Uh, let's look at a very basic combination we have. So the, the attack is a step-through punch off the base model of the technique. Now, I'm not going to have him step through fast because as he steps in, the, the idea of this technique is a very important Kempo concept to beat action, meet action, and you noticed I threw a front kick. And you also noticed I didn't throw a front kick with the whole bottom surface of my foot because that wouldn't be as effective. What did I do? A front ball kick. Uh, again, minimizing the area over which we're delivering our, our impact force. What if he throws a punch again? I step out of line of attack, okay? There's many different techniques. Some techniques we might be crossing away. Some techniques I might be on guard. Uh, even if it's a low punch, a high punch. In this case, I might be punching to the temple and I'm using a back uh, two-knuckle punch. And it's that, that 
it's the two-knuckle punch, that, that part of the strike that's the most important to pay attention to, that we're striking with just these two knuckles, the, the first two knuckles, in fact. Uh, most importantly, that middle knuckle for proper transfer. Uh, and that's the same thing if he's stepping in and I'm throwing a punch down here to the ribs. I'm throwing that punch. I'm trying to impact with these two knuckles again. I'm not trying to strike with my whole fist. We already mentioned poking to the eyes, poking to the throat, uh, using a middle knuckle strike, a spear hand, just to name a few more. Okay, so that's again, that's the concept. It's a straightforward concept. You probably already understand pressure. You've probably already seen this equation, but it doesn't hurt to refamiliarize yourself with it and uh, go back over it one more time and take a look at your techniques, at the way you're implementing your basics, and ensure that you're utilizing this concept whenever and wherever possible uh, so as to enhance the effect of your strikes. So that's it for this tip. Uh, we'll see you soon. Take care. Today we're going to talk about something called the ground reaction force. We're going to get back into looking at some of the physics that's involved in martial arts and we're going to try to better understand the role our interaction with the ground plays in, in delivering effective techniques. Now to get started, I want to look at a simple illustration that will help highlight a couple of the important principles that are at play. So I want you to imagine that we have a box that's sitting on the ground. And currently, there are no forces being applied to this box in the horizontal direction. So all the forces are in the vertical direction. That means we have gravity, or the weight of the box, of course, which is pulling it down into the ground because the box is in contact with the ground. We know it's not falling through the ground. There has to be a reaction force that's canceling this out, that's keeping it in place. And that's the first piece of understanding the ground reaction force. This is a, this is a perpendicular reaction force, and it's something that's always present whenever you have two objects in contact with each other. It's something called the normal force. But now to fully understand what's going on here, we have to take this example a step further. So now I want you to imagine, I see this box, for whatever reason, I decide I want to move the box. So I come along and I apply a horizontal force now to this box. But to my surprise, it doesn't move. It's more massive than I thought it was. So, of course, there has to be another force involved here that cancels out my applied force. Well, what is it? Well, let's think about what's going on. I apply the force to the box. The box then applies a, a horizontal force to the ground, and then the ground, of course, by Newton's third law, for every action there's what? An equal and opposite reaction. The ground, uh, therefore, applies a horizontal force to the box. And that particular horizontal force is, of course, called the force of friction. Now because the box isn't moving, we call this static friction. So I continue to play this game. I push a little harder on the box, it still doesn't move. What happens? This frictional force increases. And we continue to play this game until eventually I reach the, the maximum static friction force, that threshold uh, along which when I break that threshold, now the box is in motion. Well, now you may be saying, okay, well, that makes sense. That's great. But why do I care? How does this apply to our martial arts training? So I have Justin here. And if he gets into a, a fighting stance, is this example not very similar? If I come along and I apply a force on Justin, we know we want to have 
a stable foundation. We want to understand how to establish our base so that we have maximum stability when met with uh, resistance. Also, we need maximum stability to deliver maximum force because on impacts, he's going to be met with a reaction force. Again, this is this reaction force, very much the same concept. And, and we can highlight how important this principle is. Just imagine Justin standing on skates and he tries to hit me as hard as he can. And what's going to happen? He's going to go flying backwards and this impact isn't going to be as devastating as it could be if he had established a proper foundation okay, and hadn't been on skates. All right, so now we understand the importance of this. The next question is then how do we maximize our stability? And to understand what's going on in, in establishing a strong foundation, a solid base, we have to look sort of inside what's happening here with regards to static friction. Now there's that maximum threshold, so the maximum static friction force is the product of two things. The first is pretty straightforward and we're not going to concern ourselves with it much. The first piece is actually a number you look up in the table. This is called the coefficient of friction. And what this has to do with, which is pretty common sense, see that maximum friction force is affected by the types of surfaces that are in contact with each other. So if Justin's in his fighting stance in this dojo and I apply a force to him, he's pretty stable. If we take him to an ice rink, now he's standing on ice and I apply a force, you can imagine he's not going to be as stable. So that's what this first piece is. And it's not something that we can manipulate in the middle of a self-defense situation. So we're just going to accept that this is one of the pieces, one of the components. What's the second piece? This is actually what we can manipulate. Now, some would say it's the weight. And actually, in this specific example, with our current setup, it is exactly the weight that would be plugged in here. However, we could change that if we modify this example. Now imagine I'm pushing on this box, and Justin comes along, he wants to make my job more difficult, and he applies a downward force on the box. Friction force is going to now increase. So what is it that goes here? That's the normal force. That's the reaction force between the two surfaces. Another way that you can illustrate this is just placing your hands together, rub them back and forth, press them together harder, rub them back and forth, and you're going to feel the friction force increases. So it's the reaction, it's that perpendicular reaction force between the two surfaces, which ultimately uh, plays a, a role in determining the maximum friction force. And ultimately, this is something that we can manipulate, and it's something that we manipulate on a fairly regular basis within our techniques. So now that we understand that, let's take a look at what's going on in some of our techniques and see how we put this to work for us. One of the first techniques that we teach our students, it's a two-hand choke. And ideally, if, you, if somebody's reaching in to grab you, we teach to step back away from the choke and to poke the person in the throat. Many students, when learning this, they, are, they mess up the timing, and that actually is the critical component to understanding how to manipulate this. It all comes down to timing. And so many students will start poking before they step back or while they're stepping back, or students will step back, establish their base, and then poke. And that's good when you're a beginner. We have to break things down. But when you're more advanced, now you know that if you can maximize the stability of your stance, you can maximize the force that you can deliver into your opponent. And so what's the timing? 
Well, as you land and impact with the ground, I want you to impact and drop your height and strike all at once. So that's the appropriate timing for that particular technique. And we can reverse that. Instead of moving backwards, we have plenty of techniques where we're moving forward and then we strike. And as I demonstrated actually, many will kick and then land and then strike. To maximize the effect of this, it all comes down to that timing, land and strike simultaneously. But also keep in mind in this instance, now my body is moving behind my weapon. And if you land and strike uh, consecutively instead of simultaneously, if you mess up that timing, not only are you uh, not maximizing the effect of the reaction force, maximizing your stability, but you're also not making use of that backup mass. You want to strike the instant you're impacting with the ground so that your body is still in motion behind the strike. Now one last example. This time I'm going to be on guard. And Justin throws a punch and I'm going to slip the punch. Now I could slip the punch, move from a neutral position to a forward position and punch him and I get borrowed momentum and that can be incredibly effective. Uh, but what I'm going to do simultaneously, of course, incorporating our body actions to maximize momentum, I'm going to drop my height. Why am I dropping my height? Because yet again, we're manipulating that reaction force. By dropping my height as I impact, throw your punch. So by dropping my height simultaneously with this, I'm increasing that ground reaction force. I'm increasing the stability of my stance and my ability to to maximize that force. And to test this out, uh, you can get on a scale and you can just play around with the scale. You drop your height, you're gonna see that the reading increases when you do that. Or if you slam your foot down like we were demonstrating in the other techniques, you're gonna see that, that the, what the scale is reading actually increases. And that's because what the scale is actually reading is the reaction force. That perpendicular reaction force we talked about at the beginning. When you're standing on the scale, you're applying a force on the scale, it applies an equal and opposite force on you, and it's reading that. And if you're in this situation, if you're just standing, there's no additional forces, no ex sudden acceleration, what this reaction force reads is your weight. But you can see by conducting that experiment, it is something you can manipulate, and you can use it to your advantage in many of your techniques. Okay, so that'll be it, I think, for this tip. I want you to keep in mind there are more implications that you can take from this, and we might come back and look at them in a future video. And, of course, there are other principles that are at play while we're uh, performing those various techniques that can also aid in enhancing their effect. Uh, this is just a look, as I said, at the nature of the ground reaction force and how we can use it to our advantage. So I hope you guys enjoyed. Let me know if you have any questions, and we'll see you soon. Working like a woman, this is Z over at Integrity Radio, and you have once again been featured on the latest segment titled Brains.